Well, good morning, church. My name is Brandon. I'm the guy that you like to be the pastor around this place. All right, so there's a moment uh, in every sermon, and they're in the preparation process where I go, Man, is this the time I, is this, is this the one where I split the church? Is this the one where, where you know, uh, half the people leave ticked off in one direction and half of them leave in the other one? And uh, the, the question that was voted on last week was, is social justice and biblical justice the same thing? Are these things the same thing? And I got to tell you, wrestling through this one, uh, this was a challenge. Uh, and because we know that the Bible has a lot to say about justice, about how to live justly and how justice sh should be served. In fact, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, uh, God commands us to do justice. He says, what, 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 what does God command of you? What does he expect of you? What does he require of you? that you do justice, that you love kindness, and that you walk humbly before him. So if, we, if we're commanded to do justice, this is a big deal. And so the question is, uh, is, is social justice a part of that? Is social justice a part of biblical justice? And a way you could repackage this question would be, is what the world wants to teach me about justice the, the same thing as, as what God would want to teach me about justice. And so the very nature of this question fills me with a sense of urgency to appeal to all of us to be people of the, of the, of the word rather than people of the world. Does that make sense? To be, to be word thinkers instead of world thinkers. So the passage that I've selected for this morning is not a passage about justice, actually, but a passage about living for God. And it makes the connection that if we want to live the way God wants us to live, we have to think the way God wants us to think. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so what I'd like to do is read this passage pray about it, uh, and ask God to help us to understand it. And then I want to dive into the question at hand. This is topic of biblical justice versus social justice. And, and, and we weave our way through that. But where I want to end up is on the importance of the word of God, of being people of the word, of, of being shaped more by the word rather than, than by our, our, our culture. So here's the passage. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? As Isaiah writes, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now, church? Now, God, we look to you, the one who is unchanging, the one who is consistent. God, we look to your truth. God, your, your truth is a a, a, a firm anchor, a rock we can cling to that is unchanging. And God, culture around us is an ever-shifting tide that would pull us this way and that. And God, we don't want to be 
culture thinkers. We want to be word of God thinkers who live in a culture. We want to live your word out and your will in the midst of culture. So God, would you uh, help us to be people of, of your word, of your truth, God? Would you help us to be people who are, our minds are shaped more by you and what you have to say than what the world is and what the world has to say? And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start, let's dive into this question. Social, social justice, biblical justice. Start by defining justice. What are we talking about? Justice. Justice has to do with what is right and wrong. Justice has to do with what the laws and authorities uh, are in place to ensure people live in a, in, a, in a right way. Justice has to do with right treatment and, and right behavior. Justice has to do with the quality of being fair and reasonable and in, in, in how one lives, and then also the administration of law and authority in maintaining this fair and reasonable living within a society. To understand justice, uh, the image of Lady Justice is very helpful. You might be familiar. Lady Justice, she stands with the scales in her hand, a balance. And why, why a balance? Because when we live justly with others, uh, th th there's a certain sense of balance. But if I hurt you, I've incurred a debt, and, and, those, and things are out of balance. And so then she may have to use the sword, because that, that, that balance has to be restored. And sometimes the only way to, to uh, right a wrong is by the exercising of the law of authority. And so Lady Justice also has a sword. And you'll notice that Lady Justice also has a blindfold. Why? Because true justice is impartial. And true justice is the same. Uh, it doesn't matter what you look like, how much money you make, what group of people you fit into, true justice is impartial. And so that's a basic understanding of justice. So then what is biblical justice? Well, biblical justice is just justice as defined by the Bible. It's justice in accord with, with God's word, defined and exampled in, in, in this book. Biblical justice has to do with conformity to God's moral standard as revealed in his word. Biblical justice is summed up in the Ten Commandments and most succinct in the Great Commandment. That you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. You do those two things perfectly, you will keep the whole law of God. And so biblical justice addresses two spheres. One, how we live. Two, how justice is distributed. In the first sphere, how we live, it has to do with living in right relationship with God. That's the first plane in that sphere, living in right relationship with God. And then the second plane is living in right relationship with others, now, giving people their due as, as image bearers of God. Now, the second sphere that biblical justice addresses is how justice is distributed. And in biblical justice, judgment is to be uh, rendered impartially by two parties. Uh, the, the, for, first of all, the, the righting of wrongs. What I mean, rendering justice impartially. The righting of wrongs, the metting out of punishment for law-breaking, etc. And this is, according to the Bible, reserved for two parties. One, God. Two, 
God-ordained authorities within society. Examples would include parents in the home, teachers in school, elders in the church, uh, and then civil authorities in the state. Does that, does that make sense? So that's, that's a kind of a quick overview picture of what biblical justice is. Now, what on earth is social justice? The, the question is, does, does social justice, is it, does it fit in there? Is it part of that? Or, or you could ask, does, does social justice accomplish, accomplish the purposes of, of biblical justice? So what is social justice? Well, the word social just means relating to society or its structures. So at first glance, you would think that social justice might have to do with justice as it pertains to a society, but process that sentence, you'll realize that it's repetitive. It's a sort of stutter. There's, there's no such thing as a justice that is disconnected from a society. So social justice does not just mean justice as it relates to society. It means something. It is an ideology. It is, it is a system of thought. But here's the challenge. If you get 12 people in this room and you ask them all to write down a definition of social justice, you will get 12 different def definitions of social justice because it is this sort of nebulous concept. There, it's really hazy. It's, it's, it's really gray. And because it, the definition of it keeps evolving, it's gray, and because so many different people bring so many different definitions to it, it is, it is gray. It's, it's, it's confusing. So what I'd like to do is lay out four definitions of social justice from four different sources, and I've arranged them from simple to complex. And uh, as I read through them, uh, maybe some common themes will start to surface. We'll get a feel for, okay, what is this actually about? What, what, is this, what, is, what are they actually for? What are they against? What does it try to accomplish? So on and so forth. And the, the first two come from a dictionary. The third one comes from a book. Uh, and the fourth one comes from a website that is uh, dedicated to explaining social justice. And uh, it is neither pro or against. It's, it's, it tries to be neutral. And if you would like those sources, just email me uh, through the church's website. I'd be more than happy to send you the, the sources that I'm citing for these definitions. Um, so the first definition here, and my, my, my goal is not to, that you memorize all these definitions, my goodness. The goal is just as we move through them, you'll start to see some common themes, and we'll get, to get a feel for what, you know, what, what is this actually, what is this social justice thing actually about? First one, social justice is justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Social justice is justice in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges in a society. Second definition. Uh, social justice is fair treatment of all people in society. Uh, that I can get on board with. Including respect for the rights of minorities. I can get on board with that. And equitable distribution of resources among members of a community. And that's when you go, wait, wait, hold on. Who's doing the distributing? Uh, on what basis? Who's proclaiming the judgments? And so on and so forth. According to what? Uh, it starts start to at least have some questions. Third definition. Social justice is deconstructing traditional systems and structures deemed to be oppressive. 
and redistributing power and resources from oppressors to their victims in pursuit of equality of outcome. So you notice there, there's the concept of groups, there's a concept of, of uh, some groups are oppressive, some groups are oppressed. There's the concept of redistributing you know, power and resources and so on. And, 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 and in the pursuit of equality, they wanna balance the scales there. But notice it's of outcome, that's important. Of outcome, not, not, not experience, not reality, actually outcome. So a fourth definition, this one's longer. It says social, social justice, historically and in theory, is the idea that all people, so this is the idea of social justice, okay, this is the idea, that all people should have equal access to wealth, health, well-being, justice, privileges, and opportunity, regardless of the legal, political, economic, or other circumstances. That's the idea. In modern practice, this is important, social justice revolves around favoring or punishing different groups of the population regardless of any given individual's choices or actions based on the value judgments regarding historical events, current conditions, and relations. In economic terms, this often means redistribution of wealth, income, and economic opportunities from groups who social justice advocates consider to be oppressors to those whom they consider to be the oppressed. Okay, so as we read through those, some common themes start to surface, right? You see there's a, there's a focus on groups, not on individuals. There's a, there's a and, and these groups all seem to kind of fall into one of two categories, either oppressive or oppressed. And then there's also the constant theme of redistribution of power and resources and opportunities, uh, and so on and so forth, from one group to another. Now, you'll notice that this is not impartial. You'll notice that this is actually founded upon partiality. Uh, Lady Justice has to remove the blindfold because she has to know which group you belong to. Uh, skin color has to come into the equation. Uh, uh, how, how, what socioeconomic um, rung you f you're a part of has to come into the equation. So it's not partial. And you'll notice that it is not focused on individual conduct or justice. The focus is on groups. So it's not just in, uh, uh, focused on an individual's conduct. It's also not focused on uh, justice being served to an individual, it's, it's about the group, which means you can be an angel, I mean, an absolute angel, but if you're a part of the oppressive group, I mean, you, you're guilty, and if you can, you can be an absolute demon, and if you're a part of the oppressed group, um, you're absolved of all your, your guilt. It, it disregards uh, personal responsibility. So that is not biblical justice. Social justice is not biblical justice. And that's not making a comment on whether social justice is good, bad, or ugly. I'm just saying it's not, it's not biblical justice. They're not the same thing. They vary from their source to all the way through to their solution. The source, where do they come from? Their solution, what are they trying to accomplish? 
They're different. Now, here's the challenge. This is why it's confusing. Is there some overlap? And that's what makes this very, very confusing. They differ. Let's talk through this. Their source. Where do they come from? Also, what is their standard? What, what, what do they claim to be right and true? So biblical justice says uh, it comes from the Bible and says this, this is what God declares to be just and moral and good. Social justice comes from culture and says this is what culturally informed advocates or academics declare to be just and moral and good. So their source and their standard are different. I will point out that the word of God transcends culture and is unchanging as is the nature of God, where culture is an ever-shifting tide is not a good foundation. It's a foundation of sand. They vary as well in their diagnosis of the problem and their solution. What's wrong and what should be done about it? There's different, social justice, the problem is with the group. So you need a group-oriented solution. But But the Bible says the human heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who should know it? We are so sinful and flawed, the Bible says, that we, it can't even be comprehended. And so the Bible would, would, would say, yeah, there are flawed systems. Because flawed people create flawed systems. Broken people create broken systems. Sinful people do sinful. Yeah, there's injustice in the world. Absolutely. And it's because sinful people do sinful things. No one, no group is going to stand before God. On the Bema seat of Christ, individuals will stand before God in judgment. The Rwandan genocide where in a hundred days a million people were slaughtered based on their ethnicity... There will be individuals, one by one, standing before God and receiving justice for their guilt. So yeah, sometimes there's problems in groups. The, The Bible gets that and doesn't dismiss that. But the Bible teaches if you got a heart problem, you need a heart solution. Think about this. What happens when God gets a hold of a guy? Think about, think about what happens when God gets a hold of a sinful man. What, what, and, he, and, he, and God just changes that guy's heart and turns him upside down and transforms his life. What happens? That guy is going to be a more loving and kind husband. That guy is going to be a more patient and gentle father. His whole entire household is going to be blessed and elevated by his positive godly influence. That's why I'm so passionate about men's ministry. And then what happens when that guy interacts in his neighborhood? His character and his love and his kindness and his grace and his compassion and his understanding is is going to be a positive influence in that neighborhood. And that neighborhood will benefit. And what happens when he goes to the workplace? He's going to be a more loving, kind, patient, honest man of integrity. And he's going to be the type of guy that because of his character and because of his love and because of his work ethic is a blessing to his employer and a blessing to his fellow colleagues. When God changes a heart, he changes the society. And the Bible goes after the heart. 
because God cares about the society. Biblical justice and social justice, they're, they're not the same thing. But there is some overlap. And that's where this gets confusing. Imagine a Venn diagram of, of, of biblical justice. You guys remember those from elementary school? They still exist. Imagine a Venn diagram of, uh, you got biblical justice in one circle and social justice in one circle and all the language and the beliefs and the principles and the concerns and all of it in those circles. Uh, in the center, there, there is some overlap. Why? There's overlap because there's common language. There's common uh, vocabulary. Even with varying de definitions behind that language, there's common language, so it can get confusing. Right? This whole debate is over varied definitions of the word justice. There's overlap. There's overlap there's, there, there, it, in, in the concerns that are raised over similar problems. There's common concern over common problems. Uh, you people in, in both circles, subscribers of, of, of both ideologies, if you will, will see the same problem, see racism, or see abuse, or see other, all kinds of injustice, and they'll be concerned. They'll say, we gotta, that's not right. We gotta do something about that. But where they differ is in their understanding of the cause and the nature and the solution to the problem. And, and in addition to similar, uh, like common vocab and common concern over common problems, there's, there's some similar principles. There's principles that at first glance, at least, seem to resemble each other a little bit, but they differ in their application. So think about th this. With, with social justice, part of it, it has to do with there's power and position, and it needs to be yielded. But this gets confusing because that sounds a whole lot like the gospel, doesn't it? Right, power and position are to be yielded. You ever, you guys ever remember reading Jesus says, "You're going to be first. You got to be last. Whoever wants to be great has to be servant of all." Jesus left the throne of glory, the place of ultimate power and prestige and position. He left that. Why? So he could wash feet and die on a cross. So there's similarities there, isn't there? But they differ in those principles, but they differ in their application. Right, because social justice says the state, it is up to the state to enforce that principle upon groups of people to the exclusion of others. This principle has to get applied to certain groups, but not to everybody, just to certain groups. Where the gospel says, no, 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 no. This is a command from God to the individual, and it is to be applied regardless of uh, if you're master or slave or white or black or male or female or Jew or Greek, this is a universal call that we all live a life, uh, we all take up our cross and die to ourselves. It's universal. So instead of being state applied and on groups to the exclusion of other, it's God to the individual for everybody. So it's a similar principle, different in application. Another similar in principle, but different application, is the concept of sharing and di distributing uh, resources. Uh, it's such a huge part of social justice is the redistribution of things like wealth and possessions and opportunity and so on. Um, and now, 
we open the book of Acts chapter two and chapter four and we read that the Christians, they had, no one had need among them because they all just took care of each other and they, they shared everything they had and, and, and it, was all, it was all in common. And you, and you might think, well, that actually, that sounds a lot like, like, like so, social justice. It's similar in principle. However, it's different in application because with social justice, that redistribution of wealth and so on is enforced by the state and is uh, enforced, imposed on certain groups to the exclusion of other groups. Where in biblical justice, it's from God to the individual and for everybody. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor we are, we can be generous. Doesn't ha- it doesn't matter. It, it, it's a universal opportunity that we can all be giving, mutually supporting, mutually encouraging uh, uh, human beings. We can all contribute. We can all help each other, and, and, we, and we should, and we must. In fact, we shouldn't settle for anything less uh, as, as a church. Uh, we, we should take care of each other. So this is why, because of this overlap, this is a, it's important to interact with the definition. Here's what I, one thing I want you to take away from this. Anytime you're talking about social justice, whether you're for it, against it, whether you're debating it or discussing it, anytime you're interacting with another human being on the topic of social justice, ask the very first question should be, what do you mean by that? Okay, when you say social justice, what do you have in mind? Interact with the definition, not the term. Interact with the parts, each little part of it, rather than the whole. Does that make sense? Because... Someone might, when they talk about, when one person talks about social justice, they may, may simply mean, you know, if there's hungry people, we gotta, we gotta make sure and feed them. And if there's poor people, we, we gotta do what we can to help them get back on their feet. And if there's people who don't have adequate access to education, we gotta do what we can to help them get a good education. If there's racism and people are suffering under racism, we gotta do something to help protect them. And a biblically minded Christian is gonna say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we got to help those people out. And the person on one side is going to say, see, we need social justice. And the biblically-minded Christian is going to say, no, we need biblical justice. This is why this gets so confusing, because there is indeed overlap. Uh, but the, here's the deal. Uh, bring back our Venn diagram. The stuff that is in each circle that doesn't overlap is at best incongruent to each other and at worst, antithetical. Yeah, there's stuff in each circle that does not overlap. And at best, they're just, they just don't line up with each other. At worst, they're in direct opposition to each other. There, is, there are parts of social justice. Now, especially if you're, if, if you're referring to critical social justice or ideological social justice. And by that, I mean social justice that is founded upon critical theory as defined by their thought leaders, their advocates, their academics, not ours, their own definition of it. There are parts of social justice that are absolutely antithetical to the Bible and to the gospel. So this is why it's a mess. On one hand, we've got this confusing overlap We've got some shared language. We've got some similar concerns. We've got some similar principles. And, and, and it all seems to be rolled into the 
tidal wave of cultural influence that is so powerful in shaping how we think. That's on one hand. And on, on the other hand, we, we, we say, man, God commands us to do justice. This is a big deal. This is not optional for a believer. Injustice is sin. And so you go, man, if they say this is what justice is, and if I don't do, if I don't do that, uh, you know, there's no room to disagree. If, if God demands justice, and, and this is a justice issue, and this is how you do justice, if you don't get on board with it, you're against God. This is, you can see how this topic becomes such a raging storm. And, and believers, uh, I'm one of them, blown back and forth. How should I think about this? How should I feel about this? What is right and wrong here? Now, here's what I want to say. If God commands that we do justice, we better know what he means so we can do it right. If we don't think the way God thinks, we cannot live the way God wants us to live. If we don't think the way God wants us to think, we can't live the way God wants us to live. So that brings us back to our text. Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 2. Uh, I want to point out three things uh, from this text. Remember, he said, first thing I want you to see is that we are called to live for God while we're in the world. We are called to live for God while we're in the world. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that therefore, he's saying, because of everything I just said in the last 11 chapters about the gospel, about God's, the problem of our sin and God's diagnosis of it and the, uh, our inability to do thing, anything about it in our own efforts and what Jesus came and did on the cross and in his resurrection to save us from the problem of our sin. Because of all that, here's what I want you to do. I want you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The imagery is an altar with a sacrificed animal on, to, on it being presented to God. And he says, that's what I want you to do with your life every day. A, a sacrifice that doesn't die physically. I want you to give your life, right? This is, this is, uh, the call to consecrate our lives to God and do his purposes as long as our feet are on this planet. That's what we're called to. We're called to live for God while we're in the world. Now, here's the hard part. It's impossible to live for God when we think like the world. Okay? It is impossible to live for God when we think like the world. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul writes in verse two. Do not be, don't be shaped to buy this world, to look like this world. God, there, there's, there's, there's an option that God has that's so much better than looking like and, and, and thinking like people of this world. And this, this justice topic is just a great case in point example. If we want to do justice the way God wants us to do justice, we have to understand justice on his terms, not the world's terms. But if we think more like the world then the word, we're not going to be able to do God's will. We're not going to be able to know God's will. That's, a, that's bad news, but here's some good news. The third part is that the more you think like Jesus, the more you're going to live like Jesus. The more you think like Jesus, the more you're going to live like Jesus. He gives the, Paul gives the alternative to being conformed and shaped to this world. He says, but be transformed. That's where we get the term metamorphosis. 
Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This transformation, how does this happen? It happens by the Spirit of God using the Word of God to make our minds and our hearts new. That God literally shapes our minds into a new way of thinking. He shapes our worldview. Worldview is just not just a set of beliefs, but it's, 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 it's before you even think about something, it's decisions you make. It's decisions you make on what is right and wrong and what you should like and what we should not like and, and, and how to feel about certain things. God wants to shape by his word our worldview, that we be word of God thinkers, not worldly thinkers. Now, when that happens, or I should say as that happens, we become more and more able to test things, to discern, right? It says, it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As, as God shapes our worldview, we become more able to understand what God likes and doesn't like about any given Thing, knowing, oh, is this good or is this acceptable? We can, we can evaluate things in the world, and, such as like a, a teaching on justice. And we go, okay, here's this teaching, and here's the, what checks out and what doesn't check out. What's the good, what's the bad, what's, what's ugly? And here, here's what we can do. We can hold up anything in culture and see it through the lens of the gospel. And the gospel, when it evaluates culture, it's going to do one of three things. It's going to condemn it, condone it, or critique it. Does that make sense? The gospel, you can take any teaching or ideology or institution uh, in, in, um, in culture and view it through the lens of the gospel, and the gospel is either going to condemn it, condone it, or critique it. And what the gospel condemns, we reject. And what the gospel condones, we receive. But what the gospel critiques, and that gives us opportunity to reform and in that, we redeem it, okay? We, we have to learn to think biblically if we're going to learn to live biblically. So how do we do that? I want to say it's by reading the Word and doing it and hearing the Word and doing it and reading the Word and doing it and studying the Word and doing it and, and hearing the Word and doing it and, and discussing the Word and, and doing it and studying the Word and doing it and reading the Word and doing it. It's by that process that the Holy Spirit so bathes our mind in the Word of God that we are shaped to be God thinkers, not world thinkers. You gotta have your worldview shaped. As a caterpillar needs the cocoon for transformation, the human mind needs the word of God. You've heard the sentence, the truth will set you free. You know that's taken quite out of context. You know, Jesus actually said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, were not the truth will set you free. He says, if you abide and my word, you hold on to my word, and you live in my word, and you stay faithful to my word. If you abide in my word, what's going to happen? You're going to prove to be my real disciples, my followers. And what's going to happen? In that process, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, there is, there is free living that is found in, in true thinking, and that comes from the word of God. 
We cannot accurately know God, nor his heart, nor his thoughts aside from his word. It's impossible. So what does this mean for our lives? Well, it means that we all need to regularly audit what is influencing our thinking. What, okay, what's shaping my mind? Is it really the word of God or is it uh, is any given influence from culture? It probably means that you should have some sort of plan in place for studying and reading and understanding and internalizing the Bible. You get that? No one, no one knows the Bible by accident. It's, it's on purpose. You got to be intentional about it. It might mean that some of your, your mental input, uh, social media, news, or books you read, so on and so forth, may need to be reduced. Now, it, doesn't, it probably doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't have any social media or ever read the news or ever read books or anything like that. That's not what it means. But maybe it does mean we've got to turn up the volume on what this has to say and turn down the volume on what everything else has to say and do that on a regular basis. Now, it definitely doesn't mean that you should retreat entirely from the world board up your windows and wait for Jesus to come back. God's got a mission for us on this planet. He calls us to live for him while we're in the world. And it also doesn't mean, okay, and I want you to hear this. You go, okay, that sounds great, but I've known a lot of Christians that have read the Bible for a long time and still believe some super whack stuff. Okay, it doesn't mean that God's gonna wave a magic wand over your brain and like presto, you think perfectly like him. This is a lifelong process. This is a process that all of us must pursue of bringing the what is into alignment with what ought to be. And now on justice, I want to say this, that if we are word thinkers rather than worldly thinkers, we indeed will be ministers of justice. Right? If, this is what Bible-saturated people they're just like that. When you're a Bible-saturated person, your, your heart will break for, for the stuff that breaks his heart. And the more you're a Bible-saturated person, the more you'll be able to diagnose problems the way that he diagnoses them. So it's not just a broken heart, but it's a correct assessment. And, and the more we're a Bible-saturated people, the more we're going to be able to apply solutions according to his prescription, not the world's. And when we do that, we, indeed, what Amos said, justice will flow down. Now, we will be, if we're Bible-saturated people, we will be justice-minded people. But here's the deal. We will reflect the character the will, and the heart of God in those situations. Uh, Dr. King's I, I Have a Dream speech, where did that come from? There was tension in culture, and that speech came out of the mind of a man who was saturated by the word of God. That, that I Have a Dream speech came from someone who loved biblical justice. my challenge, church, where do you go from here? Would you make 
time in God's word a non-negotiable in your life? Would you just simply make time in this thing, in this book, it's, it's a non-negotiable in my life. Would you this week consider um, making time in God's word, adding two pieces to your day if they're not there? One piece in which you open this for yourself and one piece in which someone else opens it for you. Would you add those to your rhythms? So the time you open it by yourself, it's, that's time for you to read it and understand it and pray about it and so on. And the time that someone else opens it, maybe that's the, the, just the Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting, gospel-centered podcast that you listen to on your, on your commute or, or something like this. But have those two times in your day, one where you open the word for yourself and one where someone else uh, opens it for you. Would you make time in God's word, a non-negotiable in your life. Would you stand now? Would you pray with me? God, we, we don't wanna, we don't wanna be a church that is more like the world and how we think and what we do then we are like your word and your character. We want, we want to be like Jesus. And God, this is a confusing time to be a Christian. This is a confusing time and this is a confusing topic. And Lord, would you, would you save us from being heartless academics and would you also save us from being mindless um, advocates, God? Would you... Let our zeal and our passion be well-informed by your word. Would you help us to be a church that thinks rightly, God, and, and, and then the, the way we live, it would flow out of that. And God, though there is a diversity of thought, even on this very topic of social justice, would we be a church as well that can disagree and be so much more beautiful than any political party that we could disagree, God, and still come together, love each other, serve each other, pray with each other and for each other, and sing with each other, and, 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 and help each other, and support each other, God. Would we be that kind of church, the kind of church that the whole world looks at and goes, these guys are insane. What's, what do they got? There's no way they should get along. There's no way they should love each other. Would you, would you help us be unified, God? Not, not, not uniformity, God, but, but unity. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now the blessing, I, I want to adapt from uh, Amos chapter 5, the famous verse. That now as you resolve to live in and live out God's word, may justice in and through your life and into your society around you, may justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May God richly bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Happy Mother's Day, moms, and we'll see you next Sunday.